Well, hello and good evening, everybody, and welcome to the All Portable Discussion Zone. It's a bi-weekly live stream on Sundays all about amateur radio portable ops. My name is Charlie, call sign is November Juliet 7 Victor, and with me this evening are the show's two co-hosts. We've got Dan, KC7MSU, and we have Brian, W7JET. And I also, I am pleased to introduce to you tonight's guest, George, KJ6VU, uh, from, uh, I guess it's San Jose, California, right, George? Yeah, that's right, San Jose. Hi, Charlie. Hi, Hi. Brian, Dan. And of Hi, course, George. as always, uh, we have our regular characters in the chat room. I see uh, we've got uh, K8MRD, we've got Mike there, and we've got Gaston, uh, the tech prepper, and uh, many others that we see that, that come along on a regular basis. We welcome you as well. And we welcome you if you're going to be joining us after the live stream and, and catch this up a little later. Uh, of course, if you have any questions or comments, go ahead and leave them in the chat, and we'll be sure to throw them up there and, and uh, get them uh, answered and uh, respond to them. So let's go ahead and go around and see, if we, see what's been going on with everybody over the last couple of weeks. Let's start with, uh, with uh, Dan this time. Go ahead, Dan. Uh-oh. Well, let's see here. I... Uh was preparing to go do a, a particular hill on uh, the 30th. So that's actually my birthday. So that was going to be my birthday gift uh, for myself. But unfortunately, uh, Coconino closed all the roads and because it's winter time now. So now I got to find a new hill. And uh, so I'm kind of on that quest. And let's see what else. Uh, spent quite a bit of time last week looking for a new heat pump for the house. Mine went out and uh, trying to find one that you can... Uh, actually get before uh new year's or slightly after new year's was pretty tough so but supply chain uh, I issues, think, right yep yep supply and demand issues and everything else but uh looks like we got one uh that'll come on tuesday which will make uh the family very happy oh good well so for uh, just to clarify a little bit more to you listeners um coconino national forest uh, closed all of the forest roads, and uh, so there's no access to get to some of the peaks that we normally like to do. And uh, now there's, and over the last couple of years, there's also now an ordinance in the county that you can't park along paved roads uh, to allow the the snow plows to get through. So it's going to be really tough to get in there. But the best kept secret is Kayabab National Forest, and uh, so look at that, right? All yep. right, Brian, what's been going on with you? Um, I think. Uh activation that's uh, probably the best way to describe what's been going on lots and lots of activations so for summits on the air yes for summits on the air and, and also nope not entirely summits on the air i've also been uh um going poda a little bit too as well i uh had a couple of uh solo poda activations in arizona and nevada when i'm in that part of town um been on a few mountaintops recently quite a few actually i even dragged charlie on a few the other day in fact we had a little race um charlie just started driving from scottsdale at about what was it, about 4 30 in the morning charlie 4 morning. all right he left at five um i got up at five left my house at about 5 15 um and then you know started my uh my leisurely uh trip from scottsdale up to flagstaff we talked a little bit on the radio on simplex um i think i passed you doing what about 250 ish miles an hour i think yeah. you were in camp verde around that time i think i went right over the top of you um got to got to got the flagstaff made some breakfast changed got my bag together charlie finally showed up about 7 30 
um, picked me up. And then, uh, then we went and hit some hills. Did three, as a matter of fact. Originally, the plan was for two, but because um, Charlie is so efficient, we were able to actually add a third one in. Got the third one done. And then uh, had some lunch. Went back to the uh, airport. Actually, we picked up lunch. Went back to the airport. And then, uh, yeah, Charlie started driving home. I left about 45 minutes later. Took my time. Again, passed him probably doing about 230, 250 miles an hour. And I was actually eating Red Robin about the time that Charlie got back into town with my wife. So, yeah, it was a good day <laughs> on on on, uh, on uh, what was it Friday, Charlie? Right? It was Friday. Friday I, yeah, I'm sorry. It was Friday. such a, it was so it's such a it was such a whirlwind of a day. I actually forgot. But the best part about that whole day is Charlie did all the driving. I just had to sit there and uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, keep an eye on him. Yeah. Now, if you want to see part of this activation, there's a video coming out tomorrow night. Uh, it shows I, I capture a little bit of uh, our conversation with him up in the airplane and me <laughs> driving, as well as some of the active one of the three peaks that we did. So, uh, check that out. Maybe uh, tomorrow afternoon. I think it is around five ish. I think so. Uh, anyway, all right. So I, you know. Brian pretty much described what I what I was up to. One other thing I'd mention for that for that trip is that Brian uh, named my hiking stick that I have that I put my uh, my uh, GoPro on. <clears throat> and so, if you don't know, when I when I film my uh, my activations that I when I do Poda and, and uh, Soda, uh, I record them and I, I have just a GoPro that's kind of attached with a with a bike mount to my uh, my uh, trekking pole, and I'll just I'll sit there and I'll talk to it. It's like this, so. Uh, Brian named uh, the the pole Wilson, so <laughs> yeah, just uh, from you know the, from <laughs> so because I'm always just talking to looks like something like nobody out in the middle, I'm all alone, right? Yep, Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty funny. All right, George. Well, we're up. Okay, so um, <laughs> again, welcome to the show, and uh, I'm excited to talk to you quite a, a little bit about uh, getting some some portable. Uh, stations going here. We'll we'll talk about that in a little bit. But what have you been up to for the last two weeks? Um, gosh, for the last two weeks, it's usually building something. I, I I'm you guys are very active operators, right? So yeah. so my my operating pales in comparison to all of you. Um, so I I'm what um, apparently I'm what is called a propagation ham, and a, a propagation ham <laughs> is what someone that builds a radio. And you make a contact to prove that it works, and then you put it on the shelf and go build something else. So okay. um, actually, I don't do a lot of a whole lot of operating. I do. I tend to do more like stuff on the bench. But uh, when I do operate, actually, I really like portable operating. You know, whether it's a you know lightweight soda kind of thing or any kind of field. I love field day. Uh, that sort of stuff's a lot of fun. Oh yeah, field day is awesome. Cool. All right. Well, uh, let's, let's, uh, I don't know that everybody knows, uh, you and, uh, I mean, I, I would, they've been living under a rock probably they might not, but, but just, just, uh, to kind of let make sure we get our bases covered. Can you, uh, just tell us a little bit about yourself, just a uh, couple minutes about that, and then maybe talk a little bit about the, uh, the ham radio workbench and then we'll hop into our topic. Oh, sure. So, um, so let's see, I, I kind of going back to the beginning, I, I, got my license when I was uh, in uh, middle school. So th that's a long time ago, um, back in the 70s. So I got my novice license and uh, got on the air as a novice, which was only CW, of course, at the time. Uh, it's either CW or you weren't on the air, so you kind of had to learn it. And uh, and then I kind of crawled up through the different uh, license classes over the years. And 
uh, I've always really liked building stuff. That's really always been my big my big interest. So um, so I built a lot of kits and I designed a lot of stuff. And um, some of the things I designed uh, turned into a little side business, uh, nothing that you could uh, live off of, but something that would at least you know pay its own way. And uh, you know designing things like repeater control systems, which are kind of big and complicated. Uh, or uh, some portable stuff like antennas. And so I like doing that a whole lot. I like encouraging other people to to, to design and build stuff too. And um, like I said, I don't really operate a whole whole lot. Uh, most Mostly, um, if I'm on HF, it's mostly CW. I'm not a great CW operator. I love CW, but it's it's hard <laughs> for me, but but it's my favorite mode. Um, so, uh, and I'll work sideband if there's a, if there's a contest on like a sweepstakes, I might do you know, a handful of contacts just to prove it could be done and that the coax is still functional. Yeah. Um, but my favorite operating is really portable. Uh, my favorite event of the year is field day. So I love setting up field day and operating and, um, you know, hanging out with my ham radio friends. Um, so I, I love that. That's really, I wish we could yeah. do field day like more often. Although yeah, I guess you can, they call it POTA, right? You know? Right. Well, I mean, yeah, I, <laughs> I was just going just gonna to say that I, it's when I'm, that's how I got involved in in ham radio was was through field day and i love field day we uh, the three of us do field day every year and just really look forward to it so I'm, we're with you on that and i would just mention too that that we need people like you because uh you know when we're out active all this time we've got we got to have people that are running the tests and, and, uh, and figuring <laughs> stuff out for us <laughs> yeah well you know it's whatever motivates you um you know I, I i like designing stuff and building it and um and then if other people want to actually use the thing, it's very rewarding because, you know, it's like, well, that wasn't just a nutty idea you had. Someone else thought it was useful, too. And so it's very rewarding when someone's willing to actually use the thing that you came up with. So um, which is kind of like the 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 genesis of doing the podcast, by the way. So we've been doing the Cambridge Workbench podcast for about five years now, and that's all about encouraging people to get hands on with with ham radio so not just uh, buy a box and use it but figure out you know how do those things work and maybe build a kit or maybe even design your own thing and uh, you know melt some solder and and build things and so that's uh, that whole dimension of the hobby uh is interesting to us and we really wanted to get other people uh thinking that it's you know it's not that hard and it's like anything else you put some time into it you learn stuff and it just builds so, uh, so that's yep. been our our real big focus on the podcast well, I just say that you you're to blame for for uh, the the hundreds of dollars I've spent hundreds a lot of money I spent on going back to school uh, in the electronics program at Mesa Community College to figure out some of these diodes and and uh, you know amp op amps and all this stuff. Uh, I uh, I have a bunch of kits behind me that still need to be built, but I have. Uh, you know, your, your show is one of them that inspired me to, to get out there and build a little bit more and, and to, you know, put some stuff on the workbench and, and uh, you know, get some of that solder smoke in my nose, so to speak. That's awesome. <laughs> I'm really happy to hear that. Well, that's the goal. Yeah, yeah for sure. Uh, all right. Well, <clears throat> Brian and Dan, anything uh, you want to mention uh, before we get into the topic? Uh, I don't have anything currently. Yeah, I'm just, uh, I'm just listening. I, uh, no, you're working on the uh, the Palomar controllers. I'm a uh, I'm a uh, intertie guy as well. Ah, okay. There's so many. It's hard to keep track of everybody. I didn't realize that. That's good. Good to know. Yeah. Yeah. So I, our... I know I know TWW really well, and and TUJ and the whole crowd here in 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 uh, Arizona. Uh, Dougie uh, IXA. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they all use our controllers. Well, actually, the yeah. the the predecessor to that. Uh, I mean, there's a whole rat hole discussion about yes. repeater controllers we could yeah. have. Uh, for a couple of hours, but uh, I was uh, I was very lucky because when I was uh, a teenager, I 
met some other hams who are very into repeaters and uh, big time, like seriously into it and building repeater systems. And so I aspired to learn what those guys knew and to be like them and hung around with some really smart people and, um, you know, tried to absorb <laughs> as much of that as I could. And um, I, I'm pretty fortunate because some years ago, I, a good friend of mine, John, um, I, I twisted his arm and convinced him that he and I should design a repeater control system that essentially became the standard for the inner tie. Um, so that was, that was a, and still is a really fun project. It, it's very complicated. It's one of those things where you go, man, if I knew how hard this was, I probably wouldn't have done it. But, you know, once you kind of get through some of the hard spots, it's not so bad, but yeah, that's a great project. Yeah, the, the Intertie is a good group. I kind of have the, uh, was fortunate enough here just from talking to actually um, uh, TWV uh, on DMR one day, he invited me to the lunch they get together with on Thursdays. And I don't know if you're ever in town. And anyway, I it's the same kind of thing. You sit there at the table and I just listen to the conversations and absorb all the information. And then periodically when I need help with something, I can grab one of them and I get an explanation sometimes that far exceeds my ability to understand it. But uh, I mean, it, it's yeah. uh, it's a good group of people. I call it the big brain, uh, the big brain group. Yeah, for, for those who don't know what we're we're talking about, um, there's a an organization called the Cactus Intertie, and it's a, a network of linked repeaters that started in the in the 70s, in the early 70s, and currently there's over 200 repeater sites throughout the whole Southwest that are connected together, and they're they're all linked together with RF. They are not linked together with Voice over IP. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but they're all linked together with uh, either UHF or microwave uh, RF paths. So you can talk anywhere from the Bay Area where I am all the way down to the Mexican border and then out east into uh, Texas <laughs> and the, actually the edge of Texas uh, in Corpus Christi. So um, it covers about seven or eight states directly with, uh, with RF link paths. So it's an amazing um, system. It really is. Yeah, it is. It's, it's pretty cool. All the stuff they're able to do with it. And uh, Robin being the uh, the guru as well. Yeah. Yeah. I when I when I first uh, joined the the club, I, I had to go through an interview at Robin's house and it was like a job interview. <laughs> so, you know, you had to like eat the raw liver and ask, answer the questions correctly. Otherwise, you didn't get in. And so somehow he took pity on me and I squeaked in and uh, uh, and actually, his his partner uh, in the original Intertie design um, is a fellow named Alan Bergstaller, who passed away a few years back. And Alan was the genius that designed their original repeater control system. And um, uh, I was, uh, as a teenager, in uh, uh, Alan's garage etching circuit boards uh, to build one of his control systems. Oh, wow. So, yeah, it, it, it was an amazing uh, learning experience. And the thing that he came up with, the way the control system works, is still used today. So anyway, it's it's different hardware. Yeah, uh, obviously. But the yeah. the the mode of operation is it, the design essentially of the architecture is the same. It's yeah, I, I went to lunch with them for a couple of months before finally said, "Are you a member? No. <laughs> you want to be one? Sure. You know." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cool. All right. Well, um, let's go ahead and uh, get going then into the topic of discussion tonight. Uh, Cactus Intertie is very interesting, by the way, and I, I feel like I, I've been wanting to join for a while, but it, it's, a, it's a hefty upfront, isn't it? Well, there, you mean like cost-wise? or Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. there's annual dues. There's a lot of hardware to maintain, there uh, is. putting it mildly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, I'm not saying it's not worth it, but I'm just saying it's... Yeah. A, yeah. yeah. It's yeah, hefty, I, but... 
when I when I tell people about it, I say it's not the average repeater site with not the average repeater controller. It's <laughs> no. significantly more expensive than what most clubs are running. So yeah, it, it, it that there's a reason why it's not a uh, a simple membership. Yeah, yeah actually, if, out too. you can see the frame way where is it? Way back here, this little yeah. everything. That's yep. a, that's one of the repeater control systems. It just happens to be sitting here in the office, but um, but yeah, it's a whole card cage full of stuff. So it's pretty crazy. Cool. All right. So let's get into building out your portable ham radio station. And I thought it was, it'd be, uh, we want you to come on, uh, George, because I think it's going to be a good mix. Cause like, kind of like I mentioned before, you know, we got, we're, we're really active in getting out in the field and using gear. Uh, and you've got a great mind as far as uh, the conceptual, plus you always do get out in the field too, as well. And so, uh, I think we all have experience and have great ideas. I think that we can we can bring to the table on on building out a really good uh, antenna uh, 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 portable system. Uh, but to start with, uh, it really depends, doesn't it, on uh, on uh, what you're planning on doing. Uh, what do you guys think, uh, Brian, Dan, and and George? What do you think maybe the the different categories of uh, portable op are as far as what radio you might consider? What do you think? I think a big decision is, is do you want to run QRO or QRP or do you okay. want to do both even? Yeah. 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 So, so what rate, go ahead, Brian. Oh, I was going to say the same thing along the lines of power and um, what you're planning on doing as far as the portable op. Are you always driving up and setting up on a picnic table or are you planning on carrying it for a little while? Yeah, that's a, that's a big one of the big uh, decision points in, in the choosing a radio. Then is 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 uh, how much power you you you, you take along. Uh, yeah, for me, for example, um, I have with me an eight seventeen almost all the time. And the reason I have an eight seventeen, it's a Yesu FT eight seventeen, is because I like doing sideband, and I also uh, like some of the other bands and modes. Uh, but when I go backpacking with my wife or with other people, I always take the MTR three B just. And, and that doesn't take, you know, that doesn't uh, allow me to have sideband and it, and it's just a three bander. Uh, just have to, all I can do is, is, is a Morse code as far as a mode goes, but the, the, the size and the weight is significantly reduced. And so this is a great example of, 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 you know, one choice that you would make as far as whether you, you go with like an MTR three B, a CW only rig, or if you go with something like an FT eight seventeen, and then, you know, if you're doing parks on the air, then yeah, QRO, you've got a, you've got a different choice there again. Well, in every one of those choices, uh, it's it's not just how big and heavy is the radio, but that also dictates how big and heavy is your power system going to be, uh, and in even other accessories like antenna tuners and if you use one. So it's it's there's kind of a break point. You're either going really light or you're going not really light. So right. you know, I I tend to think about them in one of two categories. You're either um, like trail backpack lightweight, or you're in the trunk of the car, not so light. And, and then you can, you know, gear out appropriately for each of those scenarios. And they're really pretty different. Yeah. Yeah. And I think Dan started out with the QRO radio doing uh, some, some, on the air, right? Yeah. I started, started out with the 857 and, and uh, used to carry along a, a tuner along with it and everything else plus batteries and, and things. So, um, and then finally started getting a little more, uh, intelligent about my weight and ended up buying a KX3, which definitely made a big difference uh, weight-wise. And and the difference between the Q, you know, being able to do QRO and being and just doing QRP, even single sideband, 
uh, with that particular rig really didn't change my uh, contact count. So I'm really happy with that decision. Yeah. What, what was, what made you decide to go from one to the other, you think? Primarily weight and then the front end uh, on the 857. Um, every once in a while I'd encounter, you know, issues with being able to hear and stuff like that, just, you know, on top of a mountain with a bunch of other communications gear. And the KX3 is just not bothered by it at all. So um, I'm really happy with that. Cool. And then Brian, what do you use now? So primarily now I use a uh, UKIT's HB1B. Um, and I primarily has, uh, run CW and it's it's a whopping four watts into a link dipole that has been serving me for quite a long time now. And it works, it works well. I started out with an, an 817, various batteries until I found what worked. And then it, and those were the uh, 14 volt or 15 volt uh, 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 lithium ion batteries and then went to the uh, LifePo batteries from BioNO, but swapped over to the um, the HB1B. In fact, in one of the pictures in the opening credits, you see me holding an HT looking up at the at the top of an antenna with my hat on. And that was actually the first uh, activation I used the HB1B on, which is like number 40 or 50 or something for me. And it's been the primary radio ever since. And the main reason is weight and it works. Um, if it's a really high RF environment, like a, like a, during a contest weekend, it overloads pretty quick. But 99% of the time, um, unless somebody's transmitting right next to me, the radio works. Is it fantastic? No, but it more than gets the job done for, for me at least. And I could surprisingly plot some fairly weak contacts with it. Yeah, cool. So, so what do you think, George? What, uh, what would somebody, I mean, let's hear what you have as far as what you would think if you had to you know, go out on the field in the field today and do summits on the air, what would you choose and why? Um, I, I've had a, a whole bunch of different radios and, and I, I buy and sell probably half of them and keep, keep half of them. And the ones I tend to accumulate are just ones that I really like cause they're kind of specialized. And so I've stuck with my, uh, Elecraft, um, radios. Uh, I built most of their kits and then I got the KX2, KX3. And th they're, those are probably the best radio radios. Um, 705 is an awesome radio um, for different reasons, and, and and I quite like that one. But uh, the latest one is is this guy, which is a uh, Discovery, you know, Lab 599 Discovery TX500. And uh, I, I kind of didn't jump on the bandwagon right away with the radio. I, I thought it, I wasn't sure about the layout, um, frankly, but uh, I, I bit the bullet and bought one, and I love it. Uh, I, I think it's great. And the thing that I really quite like about it is it doesn't have the um, all the frills that the 705 has for sure. But I also find when I'm using a radio like this, I really don't use those frills. I, I just need a radio. I don't really need a lot of um, extra features. Um, and, and the thing I really like about this one is, is I don't feel like I have to baby it. Every radio, every other radio, I feel like, uh, oh my, I got to put it in its you know, it's hermetically sealed case for fear that it would be exposed to the atmosphere. <laughs> but, <laughs> but this thing, I can like drive a nail with yeah. this thing. So, um, and then Very I, well I picked together. up a couple of um, 3D printed covers that, that cover the the knobs oh, yeah. and the display with a little bit of Velcro. And, the, and I don't bother putting this into a case. I just toss this in a backpack. Yeah. So that's greatly reduced the bulk um, and, and, uh, you could operate this out in the rain. It wouldn't bother it a bit. So I love that. Uh, 
because all these radios gonna, work fine, you know. Yeah, I mean, you're gonna you're like, gonna talk about this right uh, in a in your upcoming show, uh, an upcoming show, aren't you? Yeah, we well we we did a um, uh, we just did an episode that was mostly going to be around uh, about about gear bags and <laughs> not radio stuff. So we spent two and a half three hours talking about nine line gear bags and. Uh, part of that show was going to be to get into talking about the 599. And so we had Thomas Witherspoon, uh, uh, K4SWL on the on the show, and uh, he's got this radio as well. And uh, by the time we got to talking about the radio, we we, we were at like three hours on the episodes. We thought, okay, we're gonna we're gonna cut it here. And um, and so Thomas kind of gave us his summary comments about the radio, and then we're gonna have him back on in February, and we're gonna do a deep dive on the 599. Cool, looking forward to that. Uh, I, I I really like what you said about all the bells and whistles. I think for me, um, I'm not really looking for a lot of bells and whistles because I'm wanting to get up on a mountain, deploy, get my contacts, and then get down. I, I don't need a waterfall. I don't need you know a lot of different things. I mean, a filter's nice, <laughs> but uh, other than a filter and making sure that you now I can get some contacts and and uh, getting those that five way uh, those uh, airwaves out, there's not a lot that I really need. So, um, and, and that, I guess that's uh, when you're, I guess we consider when you're building a station, uh, that's, I guess you got to determine whether or not you're, you want light or, uh, you want to, to get out there and then do QRO. In that case, you can't go light really, can you? You know, I, I've seen this, the, uh, a certain behavior happen a lot. And that is when you first get into something like that, there's a million accessories and you bulk up. It's, it's like, if you've never been backpacking in your life and you go on your first backpacking trip, you got like a 60 pound bag of stuff, you know, if you've been backpacking five times, you've got 25 pounds of stuff. You, you, you figure it out. You don't need half that junk. And because you didn't use it, you didn't need it. You didn't want it. And it certainly isn't worth the, the weight. Exact same thing happens with portable radios. And in, in my experience anyway, which is like, oh, I need a, a battery. I need a bigger battery. I need a solar panel. I need a waterfall display. I need a laptop or a tablet or a phone to do digital. I need, you know, on and on it goes. And now you've got this very complete station, which makes perfect sense at home. But when you're out on the hilltop, what do you need? I mean, you you basically need the radio, the wire and like a paddle. Yeah, um, you know, exactly. I, I don't need all that other. And quite frankly, um, I, at least this is my own personal observation. By the time I get to that point where I'm ready to operate, I'm going to operate for like an hour. I don't really have a lot of time to like, you know, That's so true. Futz yep. around with all the features and all, you know, it's like make, make some contacts, have some fun. And you just, what you really want is it to be reliable. Yep. And, and the fewer things you have to break, the more likely you're going to be successful. And, and I just, I, so I went through this cycle of like, I need more stuff and, and, and I need extra stuff and more, because what if, you know, what if I want to operate Windlink on the mountaintop? I mean, you kind of go through this mania of adding stuff. And, and then by the time you actually go to use it, you go, man, I never used most of that. And then you just don't bother taking it anymore. And you also hone your skills better because now what you really wind up with is like, wouldn't it be better to like do, be better at CW? <laughs> wouldn't it be better to be able to hear a little bit better on sideband uh, or, you know, whatever the skill happens to be is much more valuable than that other thing that you, that you have to carry. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I've, I've heard. So, so for those of you, Dan, did you have a question? You're, you're muted if you do. Or maybe a comment. Yeah. I was just going to say that uh, 
I, I, the thing I'm learning more about is, you know, simplicity and reliability is the most important thing, right? I mean, if half your accessories that you haul up the mountain don't work or they don't operate the way you expect them to and they're frustrating, uh, why carry all that extra weight? Yeah. And, and by the way, you can't tell anybody this when they start. Because when you start, it's like, oh, I, you know, I have to have the auto tuner. I, <laughs> I need the solar panel. Well, guilty. You know, yeah. after you do it a few times, then you kind of go, actually, I'm kind of over that. And, like, you know, so, but it's, it's hard to resist it because we're all like, we're all gadget freaks to begin with. Right. So we're doing this hobby partly because there's stuff, right. You know, it's like another thing to play with. Um, but yeah, reliability is really the, the most important thing. I was going to say with George, that's, that's the thing I struggle with right now, because every time I think, you know, I really want to get the KX2 because I, I, it'd be nice to have the microphone, the size, the small and everything else. And then I go out and I have an activation where I rank out, where I rent out 60 contacts on a radio <laughs> that I bought used for $220, yeah. ten, you know, five years ago now, and it's got thousands of activations on it. And I'm like, nah, I don't need to, it still works but just fine. And I'm getting just as much pleasure out of operating on this as I would on something else. Yeah. Well, the, the, there's another plus to that too, by the way, is, is a lesser expensive radio. As long as it does what you need it to do. Yeah. If something terrible happened to it, you know, you wouldn't be crying out over it. Um, oh no. So no. It, it, it's like, I, I take a handy talkie when I go hiking and I could take, you know, my $500 Yesu FT5, or I could take my $140 Yesu FT70, I'm not taking a B brand radio, but yeah. I'll take the FT70 every day because it's a third the price. And if it falls off the cliff, like, you know, but if the FT5 fell off the cliff or got scratched more likely, right, I'd be really bummed out. So, you, you know, those radios stay home, but like the FT70, that's the one in the pack because that, you know, yeah. less even if, even if something that's single band, especially, you know, it's, it's more prevalent for CW <laughs> operators, but even a single band radio, you know, is a whole lot better than, you know, multiple radios, multiple accessories, you know, uh, to take out on the mountain. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I'd say the, you know, the, uh, the U kits radio, part of the reason why it became such a, the primary radio was when I was, had my old job, it would travel with me for a week at a time at work in my suitcase. And it might not get used the whole week, but it took up a very small amount of space. And if I happened to, when I went to Mexico or some of the other uh, foreign countries, if somebody going through customs decided that they wanted that radio, um, I didn't have to worry about, I wasn't going to be as upset if it was my uh, 817 that the guy was uh, acquiring, <laughs> yeah. um, at nor, you know, if it got dropped or whatever, but it, it bounced around in my suitcase for a long time. And it's for what it is, a very durable little radio. Yeah. Uh, Shane says how much time I have available for the activation plays a role in what I bring. And that's so true. I, I've done an activation where I, I took a, <coughs> a, a 20 meter QCX mini and a little paddle and, uh, and uh, you know, link dipole, and uh, you know, it's, it fit in a little bag about like that, and had a great time, made plenty of contacts. You can you can do that, it's, and that's really inexpensive to do it that way. And plus, you made the you made the the Q6 Mini yourself. You got the kit involved, uh, and I made the antenna too. So so you can really you know uh, you can really do that, or you can go ahead and you can you can take the the KX2, and you can take several antennas, and uh, it really all depends, like like uh, like Shane says, all about how, uh, how how much time you have on the hill and what you want to accomplish, right? The amazing thing to me is is that the uh, whether you spend a thousand dollars or two hundred dollars or whatever in between, or or more than a thousand, I guess you get seven hundred five, right? Um, all of the radios are all perfectly usable and very good performers. 
uh, you could probably measure a difference, but they're not, it's not something you would, you could practically observe. So, you know, what, when I first started playing with portable stuff way back when QRP radios were awful, <laughs> they were mm -hmm. just terrible. Like, you know, at, at the old days, you'd get something like a Heathkit HW7, HW8. Those are horrible radios. There's just, you, I'm sorry, if you love that radio and you're listening to this, I, I'm sure you love it, but it's by any measure, they're not that great. Today, like get a QCX, 50 bucks. A QCX is a great radio. I mean, it, it, it's better than any radio made 30 years ago, uh, you know, it, it, for portable use. I mean, it's just, there's no comparison. Yeah, yeah no. I'm amazed at the front end on that thing. It just, sounds fantastic one you know one of the things i was going to throw out there too though and this is just observation as we're talking one of the, the the themes that we're talking about with simplicity weight size and a whole bunch of other things the the one of the the key things that we're talking about is cw right because most of these radios we're talking about are cw only so if you right. do want to go that ultra light ultra portable the reality is you do you're going to have to learn code because ultimately that's the most efficient in weight and bang for the buck and and overall performance on a, on air is CW. So I guess George what would be a if if what would be a comparable uh uh competitor for people that have no interest in CW want to do phone or something along those lines what would you talk what would you suggest for that? I think the the main thing to look for is the output power because uh you can get along fine with 5 watts on CW but 5 watts on sideband is it could be pretty painful and it's it's not black and white obviously it's a sliding scale but in my experience 10 watts or more is really necessary for for sideband I mean if you you know if you have all day uh, you know you're you can wait out the propagation maybe that's fine but if you're you're doing a soda thing and you know you've got like an hour uh whatever you have a finite amount of time and you really want to make end contacts 10 watts is going to make a difference. Um, 20 watts, even more. So, um, so I would say it depends on your budget. So at the 10 watt radio level, 705, uh, Lab 599, you know, there's a ton of radios out there. I, 817 is a great radio, but it just doesn't put out enough juice, uh, yeah, in my opinion. Uh, just not enough. Um, the uh, the Zygu G90 is a great radio. It's 20 watts built-in tuner. It, it, it's a, a great price. So I, I think that's a that's a real winner uh, in, in my mind. I used a G90 for a couple of years. Um, you know, perfectly fine radio. There's yeah. the new 6100. I don't have an opinion on that at all, but I think it's like 10 watts in the same kind of $600 price category. Um, so the thing I would really look for, number one, is 10 watts or more, and then what's your price? You know, how much could you uh, could you spend on it? Yeah, KX3 works really well too for because it's a little higher output. So yeah. K KX2 and KX3s are both fine because KX2 with the built-in battery will run 10 watts. KX3 with an external battery will run up to 15. Um, so that's very respectable and, and probably the best receiver. Uh, you know, like you're saying, Brian, it's like, Dan, I forget one of you guys mentioned that, like, that has a great receiver. It's a fabulous receiver. Yeah. All right, guys. Uh, uh, Stuart says, I just use the same antenna and radio every time. Uh, so he uses the same antenna radio every time a mountain topper and a pack tenna. Yay, uh, Stuart. So that brings us to antennas. I, I might as well transition right into antennas now. I think, is there any final comments about the, uh, about radio choice before we move into antennas? I'm hearing none. I'm hearing none. Okay. Uh, we're going to bring somebody in here and, uh, that is the tech prepper. Hey there guys. Hey. Don't have a beard. So you may not recognize me. There was a <laughs> what <happened>? beard malfunction. <laughs> 
Barber in California took too much off the sides and left me with an oversized goatee. So starting over six days in. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> All right. Well, I, we wanted to bring you on because um, we do have several people, quite a few people actually in the chat who have used uh, George's uh, Pactana, different different kinds, but you've also used uh, at least two different kinds that I know of, if not more, and have a running relationship with him. So let's uh, turn it over to George first to just talk a little bit about Pactana and uh, what, what that is, and then uh, we'll get into the, the Antana choices. So take it away, George. Uh, hey, Gaston. Good to see you. Nice to see you uh, live, um, besides on the on your video. So it's nice to actually chat with you. Um, Ditto. So Pactena is, um, we jokingly call it an artisanal antenna company. Um, we, <laughs> it's like artisanal olive oil or something else. So we, uh, we, we make uh, little portable HF antennas, mostly in some VHF stuff. And it all started uh, just because I wanted a good portable antenna. Um, I think I've probably bought every portable, popular portable antenna from any you know, big vendor over the last several years. And I, I found that they were always either too big and heavy or they were too mechanically shortened so that um, they could be more portable, but they were not very efficient. And so that was really kind of um, kind of the, the, the motivation for coming up with a better design. And so I just wanted something that was really lightweight. I can throw on a backpack and go. Um, the thing that really jump-started the process was uh, I found a source of fiberglass mass. So at that time, uh, well, even today, most of the mass that you find portable um, uh, fiberglass or carbon fiber mass tend to be fairly short. They're like 16 to 20 feet or so. And I found a source of these fiberglass mass where they were 10 meters tall. They're 32 and a half feet. And all of a sudden, my, um, you know, my, <laughs> my mind is like, wow, man, you could do a lot with that. Why, why is that a magical thing? because it's a quarter wave on 40. And so when I operate portable, I'm always either on 20 or 40. And uh, it's easy to get a 20 meter antenna up in the air, but it's hard to get a 40 meter antenna up in the air. Um, and so a, a 32 and a half foot fiberglass mast was, was phenomenal because now I could do a 40 meter quarter wave ground plane um, or you know use it as an inverted V or like whatever. So then, then the next step was like, okay, well, what kind of antenna? And, and so it was, pretty obvious that wire was the way to go. And so the, the whole idea behind the, the Pactena notion to begin with was to make the, uh, to optimize for a few different, in a few different dimensions. Number one, to have an antenna that's as efficient as possible, because if you're operating five or 10 watts, you know, every little bit counts. And so if you have a loaded antenna, they're less efficient. And so you want a full size antenna. So if you want a full size antenna on 40 meters, it's you know 33 feet long. You, you can't. That's only one side of it. So the only practical answer is wire. Uh, plus the fiberglass mast was an enabler. The second big criteria was to make the antennas as mechanically as small as possible, so that I, as a backpacker, wouldn't mind tossing it in the pack and not notice it either in weight or in size. So it had to be as small as practical without going nuts. Right? It has to be use usable. Uh, and it has to be robust. So it has to be built uh, out of materials that are both lightweight, but also uh, very solid, just like backpacking gear. You know, if you look at real trail backpacking gear, the stuff is made, the, the best stuff is made to be very lightweight and uh, very durable. 
and it, and and the it comes at a cost. You know, you don't get something for nothing. You know, you, it winds up being more expensive, but that's kind of the way it goes. So you can have you know cost, or you can have uh, performance or weight or whatever. You can't have them all. So something's got to give. So that was really the the criteria. So how do I make an inefficient multi-band HF antenna um, that's that's robust? And and I had like a couple other minor criteria. It had to be something I could set up in five minutes or less. I didn't want something that was a science project when I showed up at wherever I'm going. So once I stopped and I'm setting up the antenna, if it's not up in five minutes, it's I'm not using it, and it's got to come down in less than five minutes. So that was that was equally important. Um, and so th those those thoughts actually were not only for the antenna stuff that we've made, but the feed line and any other accessories. It's always with all those things in mind. So I always look at this and think, okay, if, is that something that I would put in a backpack and carry? Is it worth the weight? Is it worth the the size? Is it worth the setup effort um, or not? And and so it kind of went from there. Okay. So, so then you have, uh, well, generally speaking then, so you just talked about Pactana. I think that you pretty much respond with the Pactana to all of the um, antennas that I would take out in the field uh, because, uh, and you guys speak up here too, Brian, Dan, and, and, and uh, Gaston, as far as I'm concerned, my number one uh, or two, uh, you can, you can debate back and forth, which is which is, is either the linked dipole or trap dipole, maybe with a little less loss, a little more loss or the NFED half wave. And uh, those two to me are the most uh, efficient and uh, can get you out the best. Uh, you might have a, also, if you have a tuner, you might do the, uh, the random wire. Right. And, and I think you have each of those right in your lineup. Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and then also you have, a, a what I wanted to get Gaston on here for and uh, Gaston, go ahead and talk about, uh, what we were on elephant mountain uh, doing. Yeah. Sounds good. So George sent me maybe six months ago, maybe longer. This little guy, it's called the, uh, Pactana Trek Mount and you use it with the pointy end of your trucking pole and it's got a couple of bnc connectors and what's cool about this is you connect sorry about that you connect your feed line and you have two options to run this guy either in a vertical configuration for um, fm on hf and or vhf and uhf or what's really fun is as a dipole so you have basically two antennas coming off of each end and i actually use it for single sideband work on 440 and um, two meters. And I found these two guys, these are the um, Comet BNC 24. And it is a really flexible wire antenna. And it basically will coil up on itself and fit in the palm of your hand. And I have been hooked on single sideband and two meters now for as long as I've had that. And I've been able to make contacts with the um, 818, 817 going out 120 miles on five watts. And it is my go-to if I want to activate a summit on 440 um, or two meters. So it's ultra lightweight, uh, especially with the 817, very capable. So I've really enjoyed that. And now I'm experimenting with Yegis and a few other antennas, which are kind of bulky to bring up. But um, the Pactana track mount is a go-to for me. So congratulations yeah. on that build, George. Yeah, thanks, Gus. And I, I appreciate all the, the feedback too, because you know sometimes when you come up with these ideas, if you show it to someone else, they kind of go, why in the world did you do that? You kind of second guess yourself, but but the feedback was really uh, very encouraging. And I love two meter sideband. It's to me, two meter sideband is one of the funnest modes. 
Uh, and a lot of us have radios like the 817 and, and you don't use sideband very much. And so mm -hmm. uh, doing sideband on the hilltop is fun. I, I love doing sideband on field day, even though it's mo really mostly an HF contest, not a contest, mostly an HF event. But um, I always like doing two meter in, in uh, 432 sideband. And uh, that's one of the reasons I want to do that little uh, mount there with the horizontal polarization so that, that we can do sideband on, on uh, you know, contest weekends and that's that sort of thing yeah um, and and so the and the and the trek mount thing by the way the uh, the original trekking pole i used was a z-pack carbon fiber tr uh, trekking pole and uh, the way a lot of the trekking poles are manufactured at the pointy end there's usually a basket that either bayonets on or screws on and so the reason the hole is the size it is is because you can slip it over that pointy end to the stop and then screw on the small basket and it holds it rigid. Um, and that actually fits a, a lot of different, not every trekking pole, but uh, but that was the original uh, model <laughs> to make it work. That's really cool. I, I uh, Gaston has let me use one of uh, the uh, prototypes. He, I guess you sent him a couple. And so I am really excited about getting out there and doing some uh, two meter uh, sideband and CW, two meter CW. Uh, and and I have the same setup as Gaston because he's he's proven that it works. Uh, tell them about how far you're able to get with, with two meter sideband. So we have, um, um, the Arizona SWAT net on two meters, the sidewinders on two, and there's chapters all over the country. And there's a gentleman out in Tucson, Arizona, Doug K7 EME, and he runs a Sunday morning net, I think at 8 AM local time. And he quite literally is 120 miles point to point as the crow flies. So I basically just have to trek up about a thousand feet in the backyard and S9 signal reports all day long. Um, I've switched away from the, um, the trek, mount, trek mount to get to other stations with the directional antenna. So George would be great if you come up with some kind of mounted directional Yegi uh, that's still man packable would be cool. But uh, yeah, the, the ability on five watts to go over a hundred miles has been impressive. Yeah, yeah I, I've been wanting to do a Yagi for a while. And in fact, I, I noticed Stuart uh, in the chat there, Stuart and I were talking about uh, coming up with a Yagi kind of design. Uh, he's done some Yagi designs uh, himself. Um, if if I could ever figure out one that, that kind of hits the criteria of ultralight and um, still pretty durable, easy to set up. Uh, in what, the, anyway, so there's a few ideas around that, but I, I haven't quite settled in on, a, on what I'm super happy with yet. But, but the, now the other thing to think about with a Yagi versus just the dipole, uh, if you go from vertical to horizontal polarization, there's about a 20 dB difference. And so just getting on the same polarization gives you the, the majority of the advantage. If you go from a, a dipole to, let's say, a three-element Yagi, the difference is going to be about 5 dB, I mean, roughly. So is, you know, from, from getting on the right polarization is your big hit getting a little bit of, of, of additional gain, another 5 dB is not bad. So, I mean, if you have an 817, 5 dB, let's say 6 dB, an 817 is, that's like, now you get a 10 watt radio effectively plus. So, so that does make a difference. The question really is, is it worth the extra weight? Um, and the difference between those little tiny whips that you were showing Gaston and now a boom plus additional whips or elements, then it, it just gets a lot bigger and, and a bit heavier. So, I just haven't settled in on on like the the perfect design idea yet, so still hunting for that. Well, let me uh, plant the seed with you. So, uh, not to give a shameless plug, I will. 
the MCOM tools project I've been working on has an offline FCC call database feature that knows your GPS location and it will give you the bearing of the remote operator. So if you do have a directional antenna in the field without cell or internet access, you can actually orient it directly in their bearing, assuming they're at their physical location that they have on file with the FCC. So I think you know that'll also improve the signal strength on um, you know on five watts when you're operating QRP. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right, let me just throw this back up here. It's a ham ham tuber invasion. Do you know what? We've got Smokey. We've got uh, uh, Ham Radio 2.0. We have Kyle. We have Chuck. We, I mean, we have uh, the whole night. Everybody's here tonight, so I appreciate you guys coming. Um, I would just uh, like to transition into from Pactana to uh, just the regular group discussion about what you use for HF and uh, why. And so let's start over here with Dan and uh, talk about, just give everybody kind of an idea what, what uh, HF antenna you use and why. Um, I'm using the link dipole. Um, and I like that just because it's, it's incredibly simple. It's easy, you know, if something happens in the field, you know, it's, I can repair it and make it work and it's very light. So, you know, I can run multiple bands and, uh, all day long and it, yeah. it just works. And do you, did you make yours or did you, is it a purchase? Uh, mine is a purchase. Okay. Uh, soda beams, soda beams. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Brian. So I'm using a linked dipole. Um, it's actually been in service. I was just looking since, uh, 2014. That's when I, that's when I made it and it's worked very well for me. It was, it's gone through a couple different changes. It had 12 meters in it when the 12 meter challenge was going on with soda, when 12 meters dropped off because the, well, frankly, the, the sunspots weren't there, removed 12 meters and it just set up for 20, 30 and 40, which are three of the four bands on the, the UKIT's radio. And I, I like it because it's, it's been very reliable. I, as Dan said, it's easy to repair in the field. If one of the uh, ends pulls off, I can just twist the wires together and it works just fine. And I've, I've done that a few times. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it didn't, I think I have maybe, um, 15 or $20 tied up in the whole thing and, um, it weighs less than a pound. So it's, it's small. It folds up real small. I, I, uh, feed it with uh, 173 and, um, it fits inside of, you know, it's inside of the bag and it, it's been to four countries and, you know, well over 300 summits at this point. So it's definitely proven its, uh, its abilities to, uh, to, to, to activate. And that's the reason why I use it. It's just, it's been reliable and it's worked well for me. Cool. And then of course I, I mentioned, I use the link dipole. I have used an NFED half wave that I've, uh, that, uh, Malin sent me. And also I have another one that I've used before. So those are also pretty good. Um, and then, uh, uh Gaston, what do you use? Well, I use the, uh, Pactenda mini NFED half wave on 20 meters, been using it for about a year and a half. And I have the three RG316 feed line. And then I just use the uh, Soda Beams Carbon 6 17-inch uh, mast. And it's been working pretty well for all my contacts. Cool. All right. And then, George, what, what are your thoughts on all this? Well, I, I, I use all the above. It just depends on where I am um, and what I want to do. If I'm lazy, I'll use the random wire with a radio with a tuner. Uh, but probably for, for, most, for 40 and 20, I'm using what Gaston was just showing there. I'm using the NFED half wave. And um, uh, a carbon fiber mast. I'm, I've got a, a bunch of uh, 10 meter carbon fiber masts that um, are heading towards California as we speak. 
so I've been experimenting with that. Uh, the, the downside of the carbon fiber mast is you can't just run a wire up next to it like you oh, can yeah. with the fiberglass no, mast. So sure. fiberglass no, mast is better yeah. for sure. I've However, had experience with that. The, yeah. the, so if you, if you treat the mast like it's metal, then you'll be fine. Just keep bear that in mind. But with, with that in mind, uh, I've been using a, a, a 10 meter uh, carbon fiber mast and the infit half wave sloper. And then uh, this, the uh, infit half wave is cut for 20 meters. And then I finish off the end with a, with another uh, strain relief loop carabiner and a, and a banana jack. And then I, then I have another element for, for 40 meters and another element for even 80 meters. And so I could do a whole 80 meter half wave if I, that's a lot of wire. Um, but it, I mean, it packs down to nothing. It's just a lot to manage. Um, so really 20 and 40 with that, uh, 10 meter carbon fiber mast is, is I think that's the sweet spot for me. Yeah. So that's kind of it though, really, when you're, when you're talking about QRP, especially your, your options really, I think, uh, if you want to be effective or limited to the NFED half wave, the link dipole and the, uh, a tuner for the, uh, for the random wire, anything vertical, I mean, you, you can get you can get contacts, just but uh, efficiency is kind of interesting. Well, it's, I I would use those antennas in a vertical con well, not the the link dipole, but the NFED half wave or the NFED random wire in a vertical configuration. So, like if you go to a park and you don't have room to stretch out horizontally, you know, you you've got a small footprint. I I just have a the, I always bring a mast, so I would just use the mast and run the wire up the mast. In that case, the fiberglass mast works fab fabulous and. Yeah, and then either use the coax as your counterpoise, or if you want to stretch out radials, you could uh, if you have space for it. But that keeps your your footprint really small. So if you're in a parking lot, that's really a great answer. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move away from antennas, and we have just a few minutes left. We might probably go over a little bit, but I think it's okay because we moved up an hour, so we're not going to be stepping on anybody's toes. If you can, hang, can you hang around just a little longer, George? Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, Let's just open it up. Uh, we we won't talk about some accessories, generally speaking. But but uh, let's. Uh, is there anything else to discuss about the antennas? And uh, any, from anybody in the group, do you you wanted to add coax? Uh, Brian, uh, oh, coax. What what about coax? Yeah, yeah I just just want to uh, second the, what Gaston said on on coax, and that is to use what he's waving around there, RG three sixteen. So um, I, if, if you're going to do a deployment at a fixed location and size is not an issue, I wouldn't use it. I would use RG8X or something big and beefy. But for, again, for backpack portable kind of operation, 316 is the perfect coax because it's very small. It's very lightweight. Um, and it's, uh, it, you know, you're only talking about 10, 20 feet of coax. So it's not like the attenuation at, you know, at 40 meters is going to matter. So it's perfectly acceptable. It's it's terrible for long runs at UHF. Don't do that. Yes, yes. But for HF, <laughs> it's fine. And, and for two meters, it's fine because you, you're going to have a ten foot piece of cable. You know, even do at two know, meters, you're going to see half a dB of loss or whatever. It's nothing. Yeah, I was just going to ask. Do you know what the uh, loss difference is between yeah. that and like a three sixteen? Three sixteen versus. I mean, versus uh, uh what, what do we use, Brian? Uh, uh two two forty six six or what, something like one seventy three. One seventy three. 174 probably or 74 excuse me yeah, yeah 174, 174 yeah. and and rg316 are mechanically the same geometry uh and they're exactly the same electrically uh they have exactly the same loss characteristics the difference is that 316 is uh ptfe it's it's teflon as opposed uh, to uh, like so if you take rg174 and put it in the sun for a couple hours it gets very soft and pliable and and you know malleable the 316 doesn't. The 316 is a is a much more resilient 
um, cable. It's a little stiffer, um, but that doesn't really matter a whole lot. Uh, but it's electrically the same as 174. Okay, cool. Uh, any other comments, Dan, Brian, uh, Gaston, on, on uh, antennas before we move on? Or anything else uh, that we haven't covered so far? I think the other thing I was going to say about the antennas, and really when it comes to anything, especially with 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 soda and even with Poda to a certain extent, try and use stuff that doesn't have a lot of parts because parts <laughs> get lost, parts roll underneath cars, parts fall into the gravel and look like every other piece of gravel. Um, and I, I've I've had that experience early on before I I got to the using the link dipole because frankly, like we've talked about, it, it's simple, it works. Before that, I was using some of the other um, branded antenna systems that have lots of pieces, and the success and the frustration were were not uh, the lines were going in opposite directions um, with those antennas. So they're good for certain applications, but but portable applications go um, port go simple. Simple works really well. Yeah, or you leave the most critical part of that particular antenna system or or any part of your system at home for some reason because you were looking at it looking at a bunch of stuff of it and uh you get there and you can't repair it because that's that piece is unique and it it makes the whole system run so i have thrown one more thought if you if you do have a setup that has bits and pieces like you know wing nuts or connector bring an extra one just if if there's a thing that comes apart you are going to drop it and lose it so bring an extra thing just in case yeah. Okay. So we kind of touched on masts. Uh, let's uh, probably need to talk about masts for just a minute, and then and then it's just accessories, which um, hopefully it doesn't take too long. Uh, but but let's uh, spend just a few a few minutes on masts. We we mentioned the carbon fiber masts and the uh, fiberglass masts. So what do you all use? I mean, I I use I have a it's called a uh, Black Widow. It's actually I think two and a half feet, not collapsed. <laughs> Brian just asked me on the last trip, when are you going to get rid of that dang thing? But I like the rigidity of it. I like that it's it's very rigid and it goes up uh, 17 uh, feet to 20 feet or something like that. And so I, 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 I don't, it doesn't bother me that much. I had, I have two uh, other fishing poles in the closet that are, that are smaller, but they're less rigid and that they can't hold the antenna that the, if I have like a heavy coax, I'm, I'm going QR, uh, QRO, I can't really use them, but uh, anyway, what what do you guys use? Uh, let's start at Dan, then Brian, then Tech, then uh, uh, Gaston, and then we'll go over to George. Well, I, <clears throat> rolling around in the uh, back seat of the truck are are always three masts. So um, <laughs> I've still got the uh, fishing pole, and uh, I've used that once in a while. Um, but I've also got the soda beams. The was at the HDS uh, seven thousand. I carried that around for several years. And now I, I, what primarily goes up the hill mostly is the, uh, the carbon, uh, one just because of its size and, you know, it goes up the same height for the most part, uh, anyways, and the weight savings is just wonderful. So, uh, for me, I use the, um, 16 foot or somewhere in that range, um, collapsible fishing pole that can be found on ebay for usually twenty dollars or less and it usually will show up about two or three weeks from uh from china when you order it and then i uh sodaize it which involves putting a couple layers of uh, heat shrink 
bright yellow. Ask me why it's bright yellow now and not black um, over the bottom. So that way it's very easily found again when you drop it on the ground of black sticks um, and uh, the end of it where the they usually have the little loop. I'll take that last section out and then I fashion a hook out of um, coat hanger wire and I'll uh, epoxy it in the end and then I'll build up the end with again with some more heat shrink. And I usually get a lot of time out of one of those poles. I think the last one lasted about three years before the wind finally took it out on an activation, but it was starting to get dry and you could hear it creaking when I was putting it out. So that's what I've been using consistently. And it's, it's, um, it's been a good performer for me for what I use it for. I've got a couple different sizes now. I've actually just made a larger one that I use for uh, the, the, the POTA only or the, the activations where I'm, I'm not having to haul it, but everything else, I think the, the stick is about, what 18 inches charlie i think when it's collapsed you, you yeah. saw it the other day it's about, about yeah, yeah it's, a, it's 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 low enough where it's not above my head so when i'm doing the the off trail hikes up the hill it's not getting caught in every tree um, it, that i'm it, going it meets under. the rule of thumb that it's just barely sticking out of your pack yeah yeah it's it's uh charlie you don't have to worry about it. like you ever been to the uh the mines where you see the trucks with the big flag so that they don't get hit by the uh the dump truck that's Charlie. Charlie. Charlie's yeah, stick is, yeah. Charlie's stick is <laughs> like, where's Charlie? Oh, wait, I see him. He's over there. Um, <laughs> Put a glove on it and you'll be all yep, set. Yep. 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 <laughs> all right, Gaston. Yeah, my preference is the uh, carbon six carbon fiber mast. It fits inside of the pack. I think it comes in at like at 17 inches, very lightweight. And when I use it with the Pactena and fed halfway of the mini, uh, since it uses 26 gauge wire, I can use the top element. So it puts me up about 19 and a half feet with just a little bit of a uh, curve at the top. Uh, I think the hardest part with that setup is finding a stake out here in the Sonoran Desert because our ground is so tough. I did crack the bottom section and thankfully uh, soda beams will allow you to get a replacement so long as you cover the shipping. So I'm on my second uh, bottom base unit. But I love that thing. And about the only change I made to it was wrapping duct tape around um, the entire unit. And I found that it's keeping it a little bit uh, more secure from cracking at the bottom at the base where the stake system is. Yeah, you know, I'm glad you mentioned that too, Gaston, because it's so true uh, here out in the desert. You know, deploying on, in the desert, especially when you're in, in, in the Phoenix area, when you get up into Flagstaff, it's more like a lot of the rest of the United States. But here it's just, it's, it's, nothing but rocks sometimes on the top of a peak and you, and you got to stick that in, you know, did it in rocks or you got to attach it to like a, you know, I don't know, a cactus or something. It's just, it's just really different than, than a lot of the other parts of the United States. Yeah. One time I took and uh, took everything out of my backpack and filled it full of rocks and then tied my uh, mass to the, the backpack. Oh, so that idea. worked well. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You're up, uh, George. So, well, it's kind of a softball question because the first answer would be the the 10 meter fiberglass mast. But if I'm going to a parking lot or a field, I'd use that. If if I'm going to do something on a trail, I'd take the fiber or carbon fiber uh, 10 meter mast. Um, one thing I'd, I I do want to well, two things I want to mention. One is the way I finish off the top is I have a little cable clamp that's that um, I don't I don't know what you call these things. It's a cable clamp. It's got it's a little clip with a hole in through it and and that will pinch around the second to the to the last element on the carbon fiber master the smallest one on the fiberglass and then um, i put a fishing swivel and a clip 
you know, the kind that you, yeah, you get at the Cabela's or whatever. And, and that hangle hangs from that uh, little uh, screw. And so that I can hang up anything on that, you know, whether it's got a loop on the end of the wire, the way I do the end feds, or you can loop something through it. So that works out great. And, and I, I, I that's, that's the winner. I've tried, you know, I epoxy this and I did the hook or the, that's the winner in my opinion. Um, the other thing is a lot of times when I set up uh, not on the trail, I'm not someplace where I can stake out guys either because it takes up room or I'm in an asphalt parking lot or it just can't. And so for years I've been using uh, photography tripods. And so um, the latest setup to complement the carbon fiber mast is I have a carbon fiber tripod. It's a photo tripod. And when it collapses down, it's about a foot long. It's it's really small. Oh, wow. And when, when the uh, legs extend, they're about three feet each. And you only go two elements out. You don't go all four elements. So it, it goes out about a, about two feet in each direction. And a lot of the tripods now, they used to be a tripod would like come out at a fairly acute angle, but now they have little clips where you can extend it to a, a lower center of gravity or mass. And so you, you do that. And so the, the tripod legs are actually fairly wide. And then you spin off the photo um, camera ball at the top, put it aside, don't lose it. You won't be using it anymore for the day. And usually what's poking up on the top of the tripod is a three H inch stud. And so you, uh, I, I, I made a plate that's got two holes in it. And so you, you put the plate with a small hole over the stud and you spin a wing nut on it. And now I've got a collar sitting over to the side and I take the fiberglass mast or the carbon fiber mast and I stick it up through there. So that holds the top. And then I have a, um, Velcro strap to strap it around, uh, towards the bottom. So that, that holds that, and, and there's like no mass. I mean, these things weigh nothing. You could, you could pick up the antenna and the mass with your pinky, weighs nothing. And if I'm uh, working out of the car, I have a little uh, nylon gear bag and I just put two five pound hand weights in it. And on the bottom of the photo tripod, usually there's a hook and I just hang the gear bag on the hook suspended. And that keeps the whole thing from falling over, even in a wind, because right. There's no mass. I mean, the thing is super skinny. There's no weight. And with 10 pounds of, of, of you know, pulling down in the middle of it, it's not going to go anywhere. The beauty of that setup is you set it up in like two minutes and it doesn't, you don't have to stake anything out. You, you could do it on concrete. Um, it's just super duper portable. It's, it's tempting actually to take it on the trail uh, because it is so lightweight. Oh, by the way, it has a built-in photo tripod. <laughs> So if you also want to do some photography while you're at it, you could just spin the head back on and, and use it as a photo tripod. Um, so uh, that to me is like the perfect uh, portable antenna setup. Yeah, cool. Um, so back to the, uh, let's see if I can find this again. Um, uh, Carlos was asking the, the loop clamp you're talking about for the mask. Do you have it nearby where you could show it or no? Uh, I don't have one right here. Uh, okay. Imagine an oval plate with a big hole and a small hole. I mean, it's no more complicated than that. Um, yeah. So it's it's very simple. And, and yeah. I'm actually going to make a whole bunch of them. So I'll, I'll have, if Carlos wants one, I'll be happy to send you one. Ooh, Carlos, check it out. Yeah, Carlos, by the way, Carlos, Carlos is the man. Carlos no is, has the, the best photos of anybody ever using uh, HF antenna are from Carlos as he's jumping out of an airplane. Uh, no it's kidding. amazing. Yep. Yep. He has a great YouTube channel. 
Okay, well, so let's do this. Uh, it's it's five. It's a uh, we're eight hour eight eight minutes over. But I I wanted to cover. We still got to do batteries. Uh, we can maybe. Uh, I don't know. I, I want to give people a t opportunity to ask a few questions. And so why don't we do this? Uh, aside from the batteries, we'll maybe defer batteries for another day. What's your one uh, uh, accessory piece that you would take along uh, with you? You know, we've got the radio, we've got the antenna, mast and antenna, and we've got the uh, battery, which we'll, we may defer. What else do you take along? Let's just go around the room. And while we're doing that, you guys in the chat room, if you have a question for George, go ahead and throw them up here and we'll let him answer. And I think we'll round it out with that. We'll, we'll, uh, Get get the answers on the on the uh, accessories, and then we'll answer uh, what questions there are in the chat, and then we'll uh, we'll, we'll close out. How's that sound? All right, so let's uh, start with me this time. Um, I would say my uh, accessory is going to be my uh, my uh, Morse code paddle. Uh, that's I definitely prefer Morse code over any other mode, and uh, um, I've been doing. Uh, a series on uh, different paddles, and I actually have landed on one that I really, really like, and it is the um, Bama Tech Bama Key TP3. And uh, I'm I have a review coming out on that probably in the next week or so. Uh, the Bama Tech, if you if you remember the company, they were the ones that made the enclosure for the uh, CQ, not the C, not the CQ Mini, the QCX Mini, but the regular Q, uh, QCX radio. Uh, they have this paddle that is again, it's the TP3, and it is amazing. Um, just uh, I, I, it's my primary paddle now. Let me just put it that way. So uh, that's that's for me what I would do. All right, let's go to Brian now. So yeah, uh, obviously CW key. Um, I bring my uh, actually I've come my Kenwood D72A because I like having the APRS so I can spot myself if I need to for for soda. Um, I find that actually pretty useful. Um, so having a, a radio with me that I can uh, for for local stuff has been really helpful. And then um, a a roll up J pole that I use on two meters. That's that's for at least here in, in Arizona. That that sometimes has made the difference with uh, summit to summit contacts and a few other things. So I I really like having that with me. And those are for the most part that's the only stuff I carry other than the uh, the HF gear. Hey, and uh, Gaston. Mine has to be the uh, ArmorLock TPA pack frames. Um, I put that on every single radio, and I just like operating the radio with the frames in a vertical position and just sitting over it. So uh, that, along with the right bag, is my go-to for or go-to accessory. Okay, and Dan. Oh, well, outside of lunch, um, I'd have to say the uh, <laughs> D seventy-two and the uh, roll-up J pole. Like Brian said, um, the the radio is just bulletproof. It works all the time. It's got great features, and the rail uh, roll up J pole. Uh, I've made a ton of contacts on that thing, and it's simple to use, and it packs right down. So rail roll up J pole. We're talking twenty uh, two meters and four forty uh, antenna, right? Yes. Yes. Just to be clear. Yeah. Yep. All right, and then George. I was going to say paddle, but you guys said paddle already. Um, I, a paddle that doesn't give you a lot of vertical wiggle. Uh, so a really good paddle's key. But I, I would say, in in the although I've been using resonant antennas mostly, when I do use the random wire antenna, I take a, um, 
ZM1 or ZM2 uh, uh, antenna tuner. And that's okay. an amazing tuner for QRP ops because um, it's a manual tuner. So you don't have to worry about having charged batteries or any other complexity. It, it, it's just, it's a, a dumb tuner, has a built-in tuning indicator with an LED uh, and will tune a noodle. So it's got a very good tuning range. They're, they're relatively cheap. Uh, you can get them as a kit or assembled and they'll work fine up to about 15 watts. Uh, I think they're rated for 15, maybe 20. Uh, that's a great little tuner. Cool. Yeah, I, I've actually heard you talk about that before, and I've, I've uh, been looking into it to see if I can get me one because uh, there are some, you know, I, so I want to try the uh, the uh, random wire on a couple of radios, and that'd be the way to do it for sure. Well, I think we're about ready to wrap it up. As far as I can tell, there are no questions uh, in the chat room that I could see. So uh, you, we, I guess we just talked them to death. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. So we're going to leave it. We're going to, we're going to say uh, 73 to everybody. Uh, George, it's been such a pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, really enjoyed it. Uh, you have an amazing uh, podcast and tell all the guys there over there on the podcast to hello and, and that we appreciate you, you, them letting you, you come over here and be on our side here for a bit. Uh, Pac Tana, good luck with that. And uh, we'll let the rest of the guys say bye to you, and then we'll say 73, and uh, you guys hang around afterwards, and we'll uh, we'll uh, do some after uh, after chat. 73, everyone. George, thanks for the uh, coming on. It, it was a great show. Yeah, George, thanks for coming on, 73. 73, George. Thanks for all the good stuff you do. Thanks, everybody. Really appreciate you inviting me on. It's been a lot of fun. I'd love to come back sometime. Thanks a lot. 73.